Good morning and welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. Today we look at the third example of our enemy's strategic lies under the subject of false teachings. As we walk through the varied and diverse teaching that the New Testament gives over false teachings, we will see many common themes that we've encountered thus far concerning Satan's lies. Thanks for joining us today for the Apostle Paul's instruction to Timothy, helping us today see the evil one's influence and strategy against Jesus' church. When I was a senior in high school, our team made it through the five-on-five tournament all the way to sectional finals. Now, over in Wisconsin, sectional finals are that last game that you would play just before you'd make it to the state championship games. And that's a pretty amazing thing for a small little school like Florence to do. And so I remember all the butterflies. I remember all the nerves going into that last tournament game just before the big dance. And I played point guard. So I'm the guy that got to start with the ball. And as I made the ball, uh, as I made my way down the court with the ball, um, I remember the opposing team was showing a defense that I'd never seen before. Uh, they, they put a defender high over on the left so that I was moved towards the right. But as soon as I crossed the half-court line, do you know what they did? They, some of you know, they sprung what's called a half-court trap on me. Um, now, for those who don't know uh, basketball rules, as soon as you bring the ball, as soon as you carry it across half-court, you cannot take it back again. You are locked in. And they put two defenders on me immediately, and it was a turnover like that. And then next time the, down the court, do you know what they did? They did the same thing again. And the next time, and the next time, I set a new record in Florence High School for turnovers, 21 turnovers in that game. I just remember the score at one point being 48 to 12 and feeling completely helpless. Now, I am guilty. Absolutely, I'm guilty. But there's another party who's guilty in this. And that's our coaching staff. Because as much as I might have some skills, those skills were no longer uh, useful to me because of the scheme of our opponent. The opponent had studied us. They had seen film. They knew the exact way to exploit that Florence team was to take the ball away from that tall, lanky point guard that can't dribble. And the best way to do that... Was putting on a half court trap. I had never been coached as to what to do in a half court trap. We had never seen a team the entire season put a half court trap on. And because we had never seen it, because I had never practiced it, I failed. I failed the test. Yeah, of course we lost and that was the end of it, but I bring that up to you today because your enemy. Your opponent has a scheme against you. They've been studying you. They've been looking for weaknesses. And one of the ways in which they will enact the attack is to introduce something that if you have not prepared yourself for, you will fail the test. And this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to attempt to look at what is the third component in this category of our enemies' schemes against us under the theme of lies. The devil is a liar. He's been a liar from the beginning. He's the father of lies. It's his native language. 
You and I have seen over the last couple of weeks that he lies through uh, deception. He lies through accusation. And today I want you to see how he lies through false teachings that work their way into the church. And as they've made their way into the church, they make us counterproductive because we begin arguing and dividing. We begin thinking things that are not true according to the glory of God. And if we are not prepared, you and I will fail the test. Before we look into our passage this morning, I want to begin with what are, again, some fundamental preliminary understandings of our common adversary. First of all, you need to know that the worldview of the biblical writers is that there are spiritual forces in the heavens. Spiritual forces of both good and evil. The good news for you and I, and this is a key for our understanding of this passage, is that God is in control of both. We need to make sure that what we don't think is that there is a renegade force of evil to which God has no control over. The good news for you and I is that he absolutely has control over that force. And sometimes God will even utilize the enemy's schemes in order to prepare you onto holiness. If you need some humility, he'll introduce, he'll introduce a little bit of accusation to humble you. If you're failing to grow in your understanding, uh, the Lord may allow Satan to work over you in such a way that it brings you to a place of recognizing your need for God. I'd love to show you just a couple examples of this. And as, as we're looking at this in terms of preliminaries, please make sure that you are piecing together where we already have been. Make sure that as we're looking, as we're looking at false teachings, that you are carrying everything we've studied so far in the enemy's work such that you are able to identify all the more common ways in which the enemy uses this strategy of lying to us. When it comes to deception, this from 2 Thessalonians, Paul writes, the coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with how Satan works. He will use all sorts of displays of power through signs and wonders to serve the lie and all the ways that wickedness deceives those who are perishing. They perish because they refuse to, don't lose this word. That's a really important word. They perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. For this reason... God sends them a powerful delusion that they will believe the lie. And so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth, but have delighted in wickedness. Who, who sent the delusion? God was in charge of it. God was in charge the whole time. This from Luke 22. Jesus says, Simon, Simon, this is Peter we're talking to. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you all as of wheat. Can you imagine being there at that time? If Jesus said that? Hey, Phil, Satan's asked to sift you. Like we, don't, can you imagine if you were there with Jesus? Wouldn't you want him to be like, well, tell him not to. <laughs> Watch this. So Jesus says, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you've turned back, strengthen your brothers. But he replied, this is Peter now, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and death. What's the problem with Peter? What's, what, what, what's the problem in his heart? He doesn't see it. He doesn't see the danger. He doesn't see the attack. He's blinded by pride. Do you remember that? That's where we started this whole thing. Peter's own pride has so blinded him that he's not even able to see the warning, the danger, the signs that are going to be coming against him. 
my point to you that you would see is that Jesus is in control the whole time. He could have told them no. Probably the best example of this in the whole scripture is Job. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? Who brought Job up? It wasn't the devil. A lot of times we think that, that the devil was the, the one who sure enough brought the accusation against poor old Job. It wasn't. God's the one that brought his name up. I want you to see how God is still in charge. He says there's no one on earth like him. He's blameless and upright. A man who fears God and shuns evil. Watch what the devil says. Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied. Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You've blessed the work of his hands so that his flock and herd spread throughout the land. But now stretch out your hand and strike everything that he has and he will surely curse you to your face. This is an accusation. Because Remember that was last week. He's a liar. The devil's a liar and he lies by accusation. The accusation here is against God's own um, recognition of Job. God says, this is who Job is. Satan says, you want to bet? Want to bet? I, in fact, God, I bet there's something I know that you don't know, which is that if you remove your hedge, he'll curse you to your face. Who's making that accusation? Satan, Satan is making that accusation. And then look what God does. The Lord said to Satan, very well then, everything he has is in your power. But on the man himself, do not lay a finger. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. All right, Lord, thanks for that one. <laughs> Don't miss this. This is the way the biblical writers unfold the use of our sovereign God's love to have those good spiritual entities that are going to bless and guide and teach you through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and to utilize the schemes of the enemy that you and I would be grown in holiness. And so here's what this means for you and I. It means that the enemy's attacks are always a test. The enemy's attacks are always a test. You guys remember that day in fifth grade? All right, backpacks down, take your pencils out, pop quiz. Remember, remember that day? I have nightmares about that day. Are you being tested right now? How are you doing on those tests? I'll tell you one thing, as I've been through this study in my own life, I feel like I'm doing a better job recognizing those tests. I'm not sure I'm acing them, though. I could tell you, even in this past week, that there have been moments where I can tell the enemy wants to work out of me some flesh. And boy, do I want to sink my teeth into some of those temptations. Oh, and I wish I could say that every time I resisted just perfectly against the lies that come from the enemy. But I'm still under the examination as well as you are. Don't miss this. God's not left you. God's not abandoned you. God is allowing a time, a moment, a season, a trial. Because he's testing you. Let's see how they're doing. Let's see where they're growing. So for that to begin, I want to buffet it with this scripture from James chapter 1. James says, consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the what? The testing of your faith produces perseverance. It gets a little better too. If you go a little further in James, all the way to verse 12, he says, blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the, there it is again, having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to all those who love him. So let's begin there for today. As we're going to look into God's word and understand the way in which the enemy lies to you and I through false teaching, Make sure you know 
Get your pencils out. Pop quiz. How how are you going to answer this? How are you going to respond? Are you going to be able to recognize the scheme of the enemy so that you can put up the proper defense? Or like the record keeper over here for the Florence High School team, you're going to set a new record. Let's look together in 1 Timothy chapter 4. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me. 1 Timothy chapter 4. As we read through this passage, watch for the ways in which we're able to see the schemes of the enemy. And as we go through it, I want you to know that perhaps the number one failure on your part and on mine is the ignorance that we have to Satan's attack when it comes to false teaching. I'll tell you this past week, I have watched more videos of heresy than probably any other week. In my own education and preparation to prepare for this, well, let me just tell you that some of the lies that are out there, boy, they sound right, but they are deadly. And the error is that you think with a very benign sense on those errors, that they're only concocted from an individual here or there. They are not, church. The devil is absolutely lurking behind every position that strays from God's word. You guys with me on that? I need to say that again. Do not lose that perspective. As soon as you start to sit back and think, this devil's not involved in any of this. We got this, no problem. As soon as you think that you've already been defeated because you've missed the source of the true attack, the enemy is the one that is lurking behind all those false teachings. All right, 1 Timothy chapter four. Please follow along with me. Paul writes, The Spirit clearly says that in later times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth. For everything God created is good and nothing's to be rejected if it's received with thanksgiving because it's consecrated by the word of God and prayer. If you point these things out to the brothers, you will be a good minister of Christ Jesus brought up in the truths of the faith and of the good teaching that you have followed have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. All right, short little passage this morning. First observation I want you to see is that false teachings will appear as wisdom, but they are an abandonment of the truth. False teachings will appear as wisdom. Notice in verse one, Paul says, the spirit says that in later times, some will abandon the faith. They're going to abandon it. It's a departure from that which is true because they're going to follow the wrong teaching. And by the way, nobody does that. Nobody does that if you know it's false teaching. If you knew it was a false teaching, you wouldn't do it. 
So why do you do it? Because it appears as wisdom. And I want you to know the number one place where that will be found. This is hard for me to preach right now. Do you know the number one place? Right here. It will come from those who are speaking on behalf of God with authority amongst God's people. We're told of the Bereans in the book of Acts that everything that Paul taught, do you know what they did with it? Everything Paul taught, they checked it according to Scripture to see if it was so. And I trust that we're so accustomed to that here at Grace that that's why we bring our Bibles. I want you to see, though, the way in which these warnings show up again and again. In 2 Peter 2, here's a warning from Peter. But there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers from where? Among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies. Secretly. If it was obvious, you would have seen it. But it's not obvious. And the reason is because it appears as though it's wisdom. It looks righteous on the surface. Jesus says this in Matthew 7. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you wearing what? They come looking like sheep. They're dressed like you're dressed. They sound right. But inward they are as ferocious as wolves. One more from Acts 20. This is Paul talking to the church in Ephesus. He gathers all the elders. He says, I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock, even from your own number. Men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. This phrase, draw away disciples. That's the abandonment. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you day and night with tears. The only reason why the warning has any merit at all is because you might succumb to it. If it was obvious, you don't need to worry about it. It's obvious. It won't be. It will sound like wisdom. Now, if we look back into the text here, you'll see that Paul is going to introduce the issue in his day. I'll just let you know, as I'm teaching on this, false teachings, the subject is so vast, there's no way that I can cover it all. That We need an entire 10-week series just to address what the Bible has to say about false teaching. So this morning is just like a little bitty, like appetizer on the whole issue, trying my best to cover it all in a cohesive way that we can learn from it. But one in particular, that if you look into this text, the Apostle Paul is dealing with the heresy in his day called Gnosticism. And Gnosticism is evidenced in the life of those quote-unquote believers with a term we have today. It's called legalism. Have you ever heard that word before? Legalism? Look with me into the text in verse 3. Paul introduces it. He says, they forbid people to marry. And order them to abstain from certain foods. Can't do this. Got to stay away from that. You got to make sure that you're following whatever God has said to do. And just because you are, that now makes you righteous. In my preparation this week, I wanted to actually had a whole bunch more slides on this. And I just realized there's no way I'm going to have time to get through all of it. So I put it all up there for you all at once. If we're going to look at legalism, here's just a real quick little side teaching on legalism. How do you know if you've succumbed to legalism? Are you guilty of any of these? Just look at them with me. Do you judge others by your own standards as if your rules were God's? Because that's legalism. The thing that you think is right, the conviction that you have that doesn't come from God's word, it comes from you. Do you hold that same standard over others? That's legalism. Secondly, do you judge yourself as more righteous than others? 
because I don't eat this. Because I don't subscribe to Netflix. Because I don't have this particular, you fill in the blank. Are you doing that? Are you, are you ever tempted to look across the aisle and be like, thank goodness I'm better than... Because if you ever do, if you're judging others, you have already succumbed to legalism. Last one, and there's like 30 others I could put up here, but this is a big one. A legalist is going to miss the point of God's law. They're going to miss the whole point of it. Jesus said this to the Pharisees. You remember this moment in Matthew's gospel? You've heard that it is said, thou shalt not murder. But I say to you, anybody that has this anger in his heart to his brother is already guilty of judgment. You've heard that it said, thou shalt not commit adultery. And all the righteous Pharisees thinking, yup, yes, sir, we've never done those things. And Jesus says, but I say to you, anyone who looks with lust in his heart at a woman has already committed adultery in his heart. If you think that you have somehow kept the law of God and you've missed the heart of the law, then you've deceived yourself. And the thing that will flow from that when it's legalism is you will think highly of who? You will give the credit to yourself instead of the credit to Jesus. Now, I think you can all probably tell I'd like to preach on this a bunch, bunch more. (sighs) Let me just give you one verse so that you can see this same theme taught by the Apostle Paul, how it fits into this subject for this morning on false teachings. Colossians chapter 2, just a couple of verses. Paul says, therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink. Or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. I I almost want to just get you to see that. Every single law that God has given, you won't be able to keep. Stop thinking that you can Now, it doesn't mean that you abandon the law. God gives it to us for our growth and understanding. He gives it to us that it would humble us and show us our sin. He gives it to us for the way in which we are to operate in this world as human beings. But who is it that has fulfilled the law? Because it's not you or me. It's Jesus. They are all found fulfilled in Christ. So don't let anyone who delights in false humility or the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person goes on in great detail about what they have seen. They are puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They've lost connection with the head from whom the whole body supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews grows as God causes it to grow. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces. I want to make a point of this. This is going to show up in some other places. It may not yet be updated in the translation that you carry of God's word. Paul's word here is elementals. In some of our translations, that's going to show up as like elementary principles of the world. That's not what Paul means. Paul means that the spirit realm is at work to get you to think like an earthling. The spiritual forces of evil are at work to get you to think after the way this cursed world operates. Those are those elemental forces. Why, as though you still belong to it, would you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations, indeed, have an appearance of what? There it is. Have you ever seen somebody who thinks they're more holy? They think they are. In fact, they probably have a bunch of these things operating in their lives. So that it looks like they have wisdom. Well, be very careful, because as soon as you see that temptation to do one of these, that's a delight in false humility. 
rather than saying, I'm a sinner. Jesus did for me what I could never do. All right. Give me an amen if you got it. I don't know what to say here. I just want to keep going. Don't miss this. False teachings will appear as wisdom. Secondly, those who follow false teachings are being influenced by demons. Church, I don't know why it is that you can't find this taught anywhere outside of more charismatic circles. This is what scripture says. If you have been hoodwinked to think after some form, either of legalism or self-justification, any form of teaching that departs from the glory of Jesus in place of your own virtue, how'd that happen? You have been influenced by the enemy. They made it look good. Just like that defense made it look good. They put, they put the defender high over on the left so that I would go to the right. And as soon as I went to the right, they sprang the trap. That's what the devil will do as well. Those who follow false teachings are being influenced by demons. Look with me back into the text. It says, the spirit clearly says in later times, some will abandon the faith and follow. There it is. Follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Do you know demons don't have vocal cords? Demons can't announce anything from the pulpit. The spirit realm is going to influence you in your spirit so that you will then say those things, those values, those teachings that come from the elemental spirits. If you don't believe me, let me just show you a couple of verses that also bear this out. One we've had already this morning, 1 John 4, 1 through 3. Dear friends, don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they're from God. Do you see the connection? Because many false prophets have gone out into this world. The false teaching that's coming from these quote-unquote prophets is being linked together by the spiritual forces in the heavenlies. Interestingly enough, you'll also see that for John, the issue here was doctrinal. It was, a, it was a faith understanding issue of your mind. This is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. Again, this is an issue of Gnosticism, an issue prevalent in Paul's day. We have, we have it today as well. We have a bigger one, though, today called progressive Christianity. Have you heard of that one yet? Progressive Christianity? Stay away. Stay far, far away. I need to do a whole series on that. Again, Colossians 2, Paul says, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world. Same thing told to us in Galatians 4. What I'm saying is that as long as you're an heir or an heir is underage, he's no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to the guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were underage, we were in slavery under, there it is again. These, these spiritual forces are absolutely at work so that if you fall into a false teaching, you need to know that you're being attacked. They've set the trap for you right there. Ooh, that was well timed. <laughs> if your ringtone is not an Old West theme, you can put your phone on mute. But if it is, that was great. One last one for you to see. Paul says in Ephesians 2, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed who? When you followed the ways of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Are you disobedient? 
Where's that come from? It doesn't come from the Spirit of God. Don't, don't play naive on this. If you are, you're going you're gonna to miss the test. You're going to fail over and over. Because the enemy has a strategy to try to confuse you and change your understanding so that you become disobedient. You are being attacked. And so for those who follow false teachings, they are influenced by demons. Thirdly, in terms of our observations, false teachers have been deceived and are self-deceived. Look at verse 2 with me back in 1 Timothy 4. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared. Your conscience is so valuable. God gave it to you as a measure of protection to keep you from falling into these false attacks for false teaching. Now, I want to make, I want to make a distinction here because scripturally, we do have two different categories. There is such a thing as a false teaching and then there's something that's slightly worse called a heresy. False teachings are going to lead you in a way contrary to God's will, but heresy will condemn you to hell. Heresy is a departure from the Christian faith. False teachings sometimes can be that, but false teachings more often than not will be an attack against the church to make you unproductive and ineffective in your service to God. I want to show you the example of this that Paul gives in 2 Corinthians. He says, I hope you will put up with a little foolishness. Yes, put up, put up with me. I'm jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promised you to one husband to Christ so that I may present you as a pure virgin to him. But I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning. Who's to blame here? Satan. Everybody see it? Just as this happened to Eve, so your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, or if you receive a different spirit from the spirit you received, or a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it easily enough. What were the three categories of heresy? Did you catch them? Different Jesus, different spirit, different gospel. These are the category of heresy. A very unique, damnable version of false teachings. And so I wonder if this morning we might just look at how these three forms of deception are evidenced in some of the lies that you could hear today if you watched YouTube. So here you go. Here's one that I've heard. There's no such thing as the Trinity. Which of the three, is that a different Jesus, different spirit, or different gospel? What, what do you think? It's actually first two. So if you deny the Trinity, you have a different Jesus, a Jesus who is not fully God. Furthermore, you have a spirit that is not fully God if you deny the Trinity. Second one, here, this is a teaching that comes from progressive Christianity. Jesus is the vehicle that God used to show us how we are to live. Does that sound good? Man, that sounds good. Jesus is the vehicle that God used to show us how we are to live. If that's all he is, if that's all he is, do you know what that is? It's a different Jesus. Because Jesus actually came to die in your place for your sins that you could be forgiven by God. If you miss that, you got a completely different Jesus. Here's another one. We are incarnations of the divine. This is a mistaken conclusion that comes from 2 Peter. Uh, Peter's going to say that we have been made partakers with the divine. All right, well, there's some people today that think that you 
have that same spark in you, that you could be just like God, doing all the same things that God wants to do, the same things that he worked in Jesus, he wants to work through you. Does that sound like wisdom? Kind of does. Kind of does. But if that's all it is, that's a different spirit altogether. Because it's the spirit of God that has made you a partaker. Should I say that again? Everybody catch that? It's not you. Nothing in you. It's the spirit of God placed in you that makes you a partaker with God in divine nature. Not you. All right, here's another one. Jesus came to bring redemption from oppression. Hmm, this is a uh, misunderstanding from Jesus's quotation from Luke 4 on the Isaiah scroll to seek and to save the lost, open the eyes of the blind, save those, release those who have been held in captivity. Captivity, what kind of captivity? Oppression, what kind of oppression? There are many people today who will say that it's actually a Marxist form of oppression where you have oppressors and victims. Have you heard that in our world today? Do you know that's exactly what's happening in America right now? Trying to carve up our entire country between whatever your skin color happens to be so that you become an oppressor by your own birth or you're a victim by your own birth. And then to mix a little bit of Jesus in there. I'm pretty sure that's not why he came. And if you think it is, you have a different Jesus and you have a different gospel because Jesus came to free you from sin. You're a captive of sin. And there's far more that we do need to talk about good works. It's for a different time. All right, one more. Salvation is not about correct beliefs. It's about good works. This one should be almost obvious. That's a different gospel altogether. This is one that's very, fairly common. The Jesus of history had a spiritual resurrection to become the Christ of faith. That's a foundational statement of progressive Christianity. This one's a doozy right now. That's all three. That messes up all three of them. If Jesus did not have a physical resurrection, then you are still in your sins. Your faith is worthless and you should be pitied amongst all men. I'm wanting to show you these things because I want you to see the gravity of the danger of false teaching. This is what Paul says in Galatians 1. He says, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we've already said, so I say it again. If anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. That's a fancy way of him saying, go to hell. (laughs) So... False teachers have been deceived and they are self-deceived. Three conclusions to help us with this. Number one, the word of God is the measure and the test of truth. You have this in the text itself. As Paul is dealing with the legalism of Gnosticism, he says to those who are like, you shouldn't eat this food, don't touch that food, don't taste that food. Do you remember what he says? He says all food is made by God. And it's made right by the word of God. Verse five, because it's consecrated by the word of God. I cannot emphasize to you enough the critical understanding that God's word is the measure and the test for all truth. I have a slide coming up in just a minute that we'll look at about the garden. Let's move forward a little bit more. Secondly, your conscience is your first line of defense against demons. Your conscience. God gave you a conscience to be receptive that you would be like, ooh, this doesn't sound right. This doesn't feel right. 
which I want you to know something. I am not the best communicator. Sometimes I'll say something. My mind maybe will jumble something up or something will come out that doesn't hit you quite right. Do you know what you should do in that moment? You should write it down. Send me an email. You should come and talk to me. You should absolutely ask questions. There is no version of the Christian faith that says, just do exactly what I say. If this doesn't sound right, ask questions about these things. If your conscience is struggling in an area to be like, you know, I just, I'm not sure if that's right or not. Let's talk about it. Because as soon as you shut down the opportunity of inquiry in the church, you now have lost the mechanism to learn. And God has given you a conscience to help you see that as a first line of defense. But what happens if you continue to sin and continue to sin and continue to sin? Your conscience is not going to work the way it should. Have I told you the story of the Halloween candy in my house? Have I told you guys that? My mom would try to buy it from us. And after she purchased it, because she's like a health nut. So that's great. <laughs> she's nodding. Like she'll wear that badge with honor. Health nut. <laughs> Walnuts, pecans, peanuts, all the different kinds of nuts. Yeah. So my sister and I get a little bit of cash for Halloween. And then do you know what happened to the candy? It didn't go in the trash. It went where my dad could get it. That's where it went. <laughs> now, I had this great sister who also knew how to be sneaky, and she knew where the candy was. And so she told me where the candy was, and I can remember tiptoeing as quiet as I could, opening the cabinet, taking a piece, and running back in my room, unwrapping it like a little mouse. <laughs> now, how many pieces of candy is enough? Just one more. Just one more. And so I snuck back again. This time a little more bold. Took another one. Went back. I didn't get caught again. Need another one. I went back again. Third or fourth time. Do you know what? I'm not even looking for danger anymore. I'm not even afraid. I'm getting away with it, man. It's easy. And what's happened to my conscience? My conscience started out being on high alert. But as soon as sin could get away with it, as soon as I could sin and get away with it, as soon as I could sin and get away with it, do you know what happened to my conscience? It became unresponsive. It didn't work the way it was supposed to. Look in the text with me again. Verse 2 says, Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. This is, this is not a tough metaphor to understand. If you ever burnt your fingers on something hot, do you know what happens to the nerves of those fingers? They don't work the way they're supposed to. They're not sensitive like they need to be anymore. I want you to know that your conscience is that first line of defense that God has given you to protect you from being led astray. You can see this in a few other places. In Ephesians 4, Paul says, they are dark, these are false teachers. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. So there it is. Hardening of your hearts is that repetition of sin that's made you just hard. It's hard. It doesn't work the way it should anymore. Having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they're all full of greed. This from Second Peter, he says it's especially true, again, talking of false teachers, especially true of those who follow the corrupt desires of the flesh and despise authority. They are bold and arrogant. Down a little bit further, it says their idea of pleasure is to carouse in broad daylight. Does that happen today? They got sexual sin showing up in parades in our country at all? Broad daylight. Do you see it on TV? I can remember a time where it used to blush at something like that. 
You remember those days? So long ago. Go back in your memory. It was the rarest thing to see anything sexually inappropriate on TV. Now you cannot make an episode that's going to be on network television unless you have your token trans or homosexual or some form of infidelity or pornography. It is rampant throughout our world. It used to be hidden. Now it's in broad daylight. We've lost sensitivity to it. All right. Your conscience is your first line of defense against demonic influence. Thirdly, Demonic influence is an assault upon your mind. It's an assault upon your mind. I want to make sure that you do not get confused thinking that the devil is somehow interested in haunting your basement. The the, the devil's not making the pictures on the wall fall. The, the, d- demons have absolutely no leverage or authority over the material world. They only work through the minds of us. If, have you ever had this? By the way, if you think this way, you have a really good Hollywood eyes imagination. But have you ever had like, ooh, this cool breeze just like rush over you? You're like, ooh, whoa, what is that? Is that some like spiritual entity? Like, no, that's not. It's, it's your imagination. Because what is the devil focused on? He's going to assault your mind. He's going to change the way that you think. This is how demons work and operate. And if they can get you to think it's all about Halloween, then they've won. Because now you've just drawn a little circle around something that is a caricature of the devil. Rather than focusing on what the real problem is. So let's see if this is in the garden anywhere. False teachings. Every week we're going to go back and look. Where, where did the devil have this in the garden? We already saw it in 2 Corinthians from Paul. But here it is again, Genesis 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals The Lord God had made. He said to the woman, it's not hard to see it, is it? Did God really say? What's the strategy of the enemy? To get the human creatures to doubt what? Just doubt God's word. Just doubt God's word. There it is right there. The false teaching shows up right here. It shows up right there. You will not certainly die. God knows false teaching. False teaching. He's deceived. He's accused. He's getting you to try to question God's word. So what do we do with this? I want to offer you three things this morning. Three ways from this passage right here in 1 Timothy 4 that Paul is encouraging Timothy to be prepared so that you don't fail this test. Number one is this. Keep the faith. What was the problem in verse 1? They're abandoning the faith. Simple as that. You, you want to you wanna make sure that you don't fail the test when the enemy puts the half-court press on you? Then keep the faith. And there's two ways. And we've looked at this weeks and weeks ago. I don't want you to forget this. Orthodoxy and orthopraxy. Right thinking about God. That's doctrine. And right living that flows from that teaching. That's orthopraxy. Look with me and you'll see this hopefully in verse 6. So back in 1 Timothy 4, verse 6, Paul says... If you point these things out to the brothers, you will be a good minister of Christ Jesus brought up in two things. Don't don't let me lose you here. Check this out in the Bible, right? Brought up in two things. Number one, the truths of the faith. That's orthodoxy. Church, you and I need to be brought up not in whatever the newest, latest, greatest, most fattest TikTok thing there is about Jesus. We need to be brought up in the old truth. The one that has defined Christians from the very beginning. 
This is what this is what Paul says Timothy will be commended for. He says you're going to do, you're doing a good job if you keep them to understand the truths of the faith and you see the and in your Bible? What's the second thing? And the good teaching that you have followed. This was exactly what Jesus told his disciples to do. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing in the name of the Father and Holy Spirit. Orthodoxy. Second, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Orthodoxy, orthopraxy. Here's my question for you this morning, because as I was working through this this week, it just seemed like I don't want to leave the church with like, all right, keep the faith. Uh, Sounds good, bro. I don't know how to do that Monday morning, but all right. So I have a question for you. Could you teach someone the core elements of the Christian faith? That's a different, that's a different kind of application now, right? Would you be able, if someone was sat down next to you, and this could be one of our preschoolers over there, it could be your spouse, it could be your neighbor. I don't, I don't care the individual that you choose. Are you able to be able to teach someone else the core elements? Not the fringe, not those little doctrinal nuggets that we like to chew our teeth on, right? No, not those, the core elements. Could you teach those? Because if you can, you're probably doing pretty well on this first one, keeping the faith and passing it down. One of the things that I try to do often is I pass on to my son the things that my dad taught me. Those things that I was taught are kind of the important things that make a flunker a flunker. I want my son to know those things. Now, there's a whole bunch of extra things that I like that my dad didn't like. There's things that he liked that I don't like. I'm not worried about those. I'm worried about the core things. Same is true for you as a Christian. Are you able to teach someone those? Can you pass those on? Two forms. What you believe and how you live. All right, number two. This will be shocking. Love from a pure heart, clear conscience, and a sincere faith. This surprised me a little bit, frankly. As I was looking into this, I was not expecting one of the counterattacks for you and I not to succumb to false teaching to be love, but it is. In fact, look with me in the text again. Verse 7, he says, have nothing to do with, and he lists two things, godless myths or old wives' tales. I want you to know, that's not the first time he's mentioned that in this book. In fact, back up with me, back to 1 Timothy chapter 1. Just scoot back a little bit. 1 Timothy chapter 1. I'm going to put the verse up here on the screen if you don't want to... Flip two pages in your Bible. First Timothy 1, 3 through 5, Paul says, As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus, so that you may command certain people not to teach, there it is, false doctrines, and no longer devote themselves to, there's the myths, there's the old wives' tales, the endless gene- genealogies. Enough of that. No more of that. He says, such things promote controversial speculations rather than advancing God's work, which is by faith. And the goal of the command is what? It's love. That's the goal the whole time. Now, I want to make sure you understand this. It's not an arbitrary love. It's not an arbitrary love. I might need to say it 10 more times so you catch it. Because do you know what our world wants to say about love today? Love is wrong. No, love actually has some conditions on it. What does Paul say here? Love that comes from a pure heart, a good conscience. There we saw the answer to the conscience again. And a sincere faith, the true faith. So there's no version of love that's defined by who? We don't define it. 
Now, love is still the goal. I want you to see that that was true in our Old Testament reading as well. Do you remember this from Deuteronomy? If a prophet or one who foretells by dreams appears among you and announces to you a sign or wonder, and if the sign or wonder is spoken of, takes place. Holy smokes. They announced a sign and it happened. And then the prophet says, let's follow other gods. You ought to be like, whoa, my conscience is saying that ain't right. That ain't right. I'm impressed by whatever sign you did, but say what now? Follow other gods? Gods we have not known and let us worship them? God says you must not listen to the words of that prophet or dreamer. The Lord your God is testing you. Testing me how? Testing me in what way? Testing you to see whether you, there it is, whether you love him with all your heart, with all your soul. I want you to know the way in which you and I counterattack false teaching, number one, through being able to pass along the faith. Keep it. Don't let it go. And secondly, make sure that love is the focus of your teaching. And so here's a second question for you. Are your expressions of love defined by the Christian faith? I'm going to leave that one there for now. Thirdly and lastly, you and I need to learn to train for godliness through the renewal of our minds. Remember, Satan's attack is against your mind. It's an assault on your mind, how you think, especially in a world where, by the way, you're in church right now. So I'm going to, I'm going to expect that your attack is going to be probably more targeted towards some form of self-justification or legalism. Again, I get to deal with that as much as I want this morning. But that's not the goal. You need to train yourself for godliness by renewing your minds. This from Hebrews chapter 5, the writer says, In fact, though this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, still being an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use have done what? There it is. They train themselves. They've done it over and over and over. You know, we practiced a full court press a bunch of times. Full, full court press, we had figured out. Do you know what we never practiced? Half court press. And so when it happened, when it showed up, fail. Why? Because we never practiced it. We never trained for it. And we failed the test. Paul says this in Romans 2, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So train for godliness through the renewal of your mind. Here's my question for you this week. How are you daily renewing your mind in the Christian faith? Can you answer that question? How are you daily renewing your mind? Well, I went to church on Sunday. Well, nope, not enough. I want you to know that your enemy out there, he's looking for who he can devour. He's got a scheme against you and I. We need to make sure that we're prepared for it. And when it comes to the lies of false teaching... Be very wary of any of those that give credit back to how virtuous you are, that steal away from the glory of your Savior, Jesus. That's so prevalent in the church. Be very careful. And secondly, make sure that you and I are training for godliness. Make sure that you're renewing your mind. Make sure that love, defined by the Christian faith, is always the goal of anything that you would do for God. And then let's pass on the faith. Let's hold to it. Don't abandon it. Amen? Amen.